Welcome to Explore the Space. We're digging into healthcare issues that matter most. Our guests and conversations mine these issues for perspective and answers. There is a gulf between healthcare and our communities. This is the place to talk about it. Now here's your host, Dr. Mark Shapiro. Welcome back to Explore the Space. This is Dr. Mark Shapiro. Had a several week layoff, much needed, but I'm really excited to be back bringing another podcast out. Um, For those of you who are listening for the first time, welcome. Uh, Happy to have you. We've been downloaded all over the United States. We're downloaded in 19 different countries at this point. Please go on iTunes and subscribe. Feel free to email me at mark uh, at explorethespaceshow.com. Send questions or comments, Uh, but definitely welcome. Definitely subscribe. And uh, for those of you who are coming back, who've listened to our show before, welcome back. Happy to have you. And we've got some great content today. We've had some serious discussions in some of our more recent episodes, some really heavy stuff. And uh, it's time for us to just take a little break and get on the pop culture roller coaster uh, that has gripped our nation for really the bulk of my life. We are going to talk zombies today. Um, I am a big fan of all things zombie related. And obviously, we just had the premiere of season six of The Walking Dead, the most popular cable show in American television history, was last night. We got to get into this. We got to look at how how could this happen? How would we all respond? So, I've asked one of my friends and colleagues, Dr. Josh Minuto, uh, who is an infectious disease specialist, uh, an outstanding clinician, and a fellow fan of all things zombie, to come and join me. We're going to look into this a little bit and see what we can come up with. Why is this so popular? Is there anything we need to be afraid of? Josh, welcome to Explore the Space. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. So, we had season six premiere. You were the one that convinced me to get back into The Walking Dead. I had watched the first couple of episodes of season one a year or so ago, and you said, Mark, get in. Got to do it. Three months later, I had binge-watched season two, three, four, and five, and now we're up to date. What is it that makes not just The Walking Dead, but this whole idea of a zombie apocalypse and a world after a zombie apocalypse, what makes this so compelling? Well, you know, I think... The the gripping part of a show like The Walking Dead is not the zombies in any way. It's the human response to that apocalyptic world. Um, and it's, you know, it's a sci-fi theme that runs the gamut. But it's, you know, you're pitted against, humanity's pitted against different obstacles, whether it's vampires or zombies or, you know, another alien nation or whatever it is. And every time I talk to someone about the walking dead and watching the show, they say, well, I'm not really a zombie person. And I say, that's perfect because (laughs) it's not a zombie show. And it's not, it's the zombies have no dialogue. They don't interact, you know, in a, in a complicated and, you know, interesting way with the people as much as the people interact with themselves or with the potential of another group of people. And I think that's the compelling part of it. One of the things that makes these shows so much fun, too, the first stretch, the beginning episodes, will always give you at least a little sense of how did it start. The vast majority of these shows, whether it's 28 Days Later or The Stand or The Walking Dead, it always starts off with an infectious disease. Of course it is. It's got to be an infectious disease. Break it down for us a little bit. Without getting you know too deep into you know exactly what the intracellular interaction would be of a certain bug. How would this propagate? How does this work 
uh, in the broad strokes where something gets loose and the next thing we know, it's 28 days later. So, you know, I think the interesting part of this for me as an infectious disease doctor and what kind of drew me into my field in the beginning was, you know, people have been dealing with epidemic infections since the dawn of time. And the real interesting part is the the society adapting to that threat and figuring it out and trying to combat it in different ways. And, you know, initially when people would interact with infectious pathogens, there was this mythology about them. You know, they created werewolf mythos, they created vampires, they created all these other mythological things to explain a phenomenon they couldn't otherwise scientifically explain. And as we've gotten more sophisticated in our scientific method and developed germ theory and seen these things under the microscope and investigated the epidemiology of different epidemics and different pathogens, it, it really fleshes out that same mythos. It's the same visceral reaction to illness and infection and, and you know, how it jumps from one person to another. And is it the water source or is it getting bitten or is it the blood or, you know, it's this constant paranoia that people have about infection. You see it during flu season. You see it when people travel, they're on a cruise ship and someone gets diarrhea. I mean, it's, it envelops our life in every way. And we've seen the birth of, you know, uh, people Cloroxing their whole house and the birth of hand sanitizer and other thing, you know, people wearing masks all through Asia to protect themselves from infection. Um, it's like a constant running uh, subconscious thing that we have. So let me ask you this question then. I, I agree. And I, I think the idea of at the crux of these, these shows and these stories, they are, they're just, it, they're just rattlingly good engaging stories. They're so fun in terms of the oral tradition, good quality storytelling, things that will really resonate. That being said, you've brought up a couple of important things, how we respond to real infectious issues, how we respond to real epidemics and pandemics. But do you think that people's fascination with these shows is driving a healthy response? Do you think it's driving a response that may not be as as robust and powerful as it could be? Are, are we overreacting? Are we underreacting? Are we misunderstanding uh, based on the walking dead world war Z, this sort of thing? You know, I think it does both. Okay. Um, and it's, it's very interesting because the struggle for epidemiologists is to get people to appreciate the nuances of infection and how to, how to employ infection prevention to keep people from getting sick from the spread of disease. And vaccination is a piece of that, and hand washing is a piece of that, and quarantining people is a piece of that. And it's hard to get people to buy into that because it changes their practice. But fear is a very compelling thing. And people's fear, misdirected or not, tends to motivate them. And organizations like the CDC have used the zombie apocalypse as a model to start introducing people to the concepts of infection control and, you know, epidemic infection. And I think it, it, it really goes a long way because the same tools that you can apply to approaching the zombie apocalypse and protecting yourself and your family are equally applicable when it comes to things like, you know, epidemic or pandemic influenza. You know, influenza killed 
millions and millions of people in 1918, the Spanish flu, because we didn't have any innate immunity to that specific flu strain. And nations blamed other nations. There was all kinds of paranoia. People did all kinds of crazy things. I mean, this has happened multiple times throughout history, the bubonic plague. Um, we have things like typhoid Mary, where it spread through the water or spread through touch and, you know, food and all these other things that are so, you know, so much a, a place in our daily lives. They hold a, you know, a, a significant chunk of our daily activity and interactions with each other and the basics of survival, you know, your food, your water, your shelter, living with other people. And um, I think that in large part, things like The Walking Dead or like The Strain or The Stand inform people about how to adapt to any of these things. I think also we have a lot of reactions to infectious disease that are misguided. Mm -hmm. um, we saw that with Ebola and kind of the Ebola paranoia that we had here in the U.S., um, about people coming from Africa and bringing it and having it spread. And um, the same was true, certainly, of the AIDS epidemic. And a lot of this new Ebola paranoia kind of resonated with a lot of us who take care of AIDS patients and know something about the history of the AIDS epidemic. Um, you really need to inform yourself about what the nuances of that specific infection are, what the transmission is, what, you know, certain epidemiological characteristics are, and then protect yourself appropriately. There's a lot of things you can do that won't help you and will waste a lot of time and energy and just stress you out. <laughs> right. I think that one of the, I, I agree with that. I think there's definitely a balance to be struck. I will say, I think that there is a, a profound effect that the fascination with this sort of stuff has had. And I think on balance, the effect is a positive one in that, People do pay more attention to how would we protect ourselves? How would we um, deal with this sort of thing? Do we need to wash our hands? Do we need to isolate ourselves? Do we need to do something different? Do we need to be vaccinated? I think that there's a level of awareness there that is that is new and is different. Um, when we were, we're about the same age, when we were growing up, the response to the AIDS epidemic was very, very different than what we've seen with more recent challenges. And look, I'm not going to give all the credit to World War Z and, and, and this sort of thing. That being said, I, it's part of that evolution where people can embrace these things a little bit differently. You referenced the CDC website. This is one of the coolest things that any part of the federal government has done. They've leveraged this, and they actually have a dedicated website to the zombie apocalypse. It started off being a little tongue-in-cheek, but they say, look, this, this has actually been a very effective tool. And they've overlaid, hey, this is how you prepare for a zombie apocalypse. But it's just practical ways to be prepared for a disaster, earthquake, flood, infection, whatever it may be. What's the trend going to be, though? We've seen you referenced the Ebola epidemic, and you know we were both uh, involved in in talking about this sort of thing, and obviously everyone was was pretty pretty enraptured by enraptured by it. Um, what's the trend going to be? As an infectious disease specialist, you're going to get asked this all the time, regardless of the time of year. But it's almost influenza season. Are we going to trend? Which direction are we going to trend? You mean in regard to people's yeah people's response, people's level of interest, and then balancing this appropriate, prudent, careful response versus hysteria, potentially risky or dangerous things or ineffective things. Sure. Well, you know, I think that I think human appreciation for infection prevention practices is cyclical, That's and I think it yeah. it depends entirely on how many people are sick and how many people 
who are sick are seen by other people. So our grandparents' generation had a kid in the class who had polio and they had poliomyelitis and they were limping. They had neurological complications from it. Um, you know, they saw people with tetanus. They saw people with all these diseases that we previously didn't either have vaccinations for or were just commonplace because of hygiene, because of infection control practices or other things. And these things are still prevalent in a lot of the third world as well. Um, and they come in cycles. People like our grandparents would probably rush to get vaccinated for something like that because they knew their friend who couldn't walk because of polio. So, yeah. you know, the salt vaccine comes out and I'm first in line. You right, know, they right. would go to the elementary school and line people up and, you know, people would drag their kids to school by their ears to get vaccinated. Um, but then polio is controlled effectively, you know, for most of the world. Right. And people forget. And then yeah. they wonder, why do I need this vaccine? I mean, nobody has polio. Yeah. Um, and then those people travel to parts of the world that still have polio, like parts of India or Pakistan or Nigeria or places. And they're at risk for getting polio. Yeah. And they reintroduce polio into a world that's forgotten the importance of polio vaccine. And then you have polio again. You know, we saw this with measles. We had a measles epidemic that started yeah. at Disneyland. Yeah. It's perfect. You know, yeah. it's, it, it's almost poetic that this disease that's incredibly infectious and can kill children goes to Disneyland to spread. You know, I mean, it's almost like you give it this onomatopoeic yeah. evil. There's you know? a gruesome irony to that. And it could easily be something that would be the next, like, you know, apocalyptic thing. It would start at an amusement park. I mean, right. it could have, you can't make stuff like that up. Um, no, I agree. And I think that idea though, of when things either fade from memory or when there's something new and novel, um, you know, we really saw that with Ebola. There was the movie Outbreak. Right. What was it in the mid '90s? They filmed part of that in my hometown. I remember it was kind of a big deal. Um, that movie, it was some, it was a, it was Ebola, I think. Um, and that's when the I remember sort of the Western eyes open to it, and there's Kevin Spacey and Dustin Hoffman running around chasing this this bug. Patrick Dempsey was the, he was the typhoid Mary. He was the guy on the plane who had the bloodshot eyes and was coughing. Those sorts of things though, they do raise a level of awareness that's powerful, um, but can be certainly destructive when they're sort of misinterpreted. Where is the balance for us as people who are in healthcare to enjoy this stuff, talk about it, but at the same time, help help people say what's going to be real, what's not going to be real, and kind of be able to move forward in an organized manner. Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard. We, as infectious disease doctors, we talk to people all the time about rational approaches to mm -hmm. preventing infection. Um, and there are a lot of misconceptions that people have, and in part it's because the science is hard to understand and you have to really digest hundreds of years of, of clinical experience with these things. And vaccine medicine is very different than, you know, treating uh, staph infection with antibiotics. And, you know, they're just, they're complicated. And the immune system is complicated and mother nature is complicated and we don't understand everything about it. But I think that's, that. I don't mean to interrupt, but that's an important point. It, it is so complicated. Yeah. You have a level of expertise that very few people do. You're well-trained and we can sit here and admit this stuff is incredibly complex. Even when you have your books open and, and a room full of people, it's hard to get consensus. Um, so again, though, it's 
to get back to what you were discussing, how do we then help people get through that complexity to a little bit of clarity? Well, you know, I think the first step is to appreciate the, the visceral ancient response that our soul has to this dark force. I love that turn of phrase. I just, I I love it. I love it. Cause Ebola was, was just, it was perfect. It was like from the, jungles of Africa, you know, and, and the bats carried it in and, you know, it, it traveled in populations of people in the poor part of the world and they bled from their eyes. And, you know, it was just, it was dramatic and emotional in every way. And it just grabbed that heartstring that people are, you know, makes them the most paranoid about this stuff. And it just strung away. And, you know, we saw a lot of paranoia. We saw a lot of Ebola, phobia, as Mm -hmm. I say. Mm -hmm. Um, but you have to try and use epidemiological principles in a way to educate people and to explain to them what is really a threat and what isn't a threat. And the same is true for everything. I mean, people are terrified of getting attacked by the shark, mm-hmm. but they'll drive 95 miles an hour on the freeway to work, mm-hmm. you know, uh, or they'll drink and drive, or mm-hmm. they'll do things that are incredibly more risky for mm-hmm. them than swimming in the ocean. Um, and you can't get away from some of that, you know, that just cultural mythological fear. But, you know, you have to use epidemiological principles and explain to them what the real risks are. And to do that, you have to understand the science of the enemy. You know, mm-hmm. you have to understand the disease and, you know, know your enemy, mm-hmm. as they say. Um, and then you have to be able to to synthesize that and digest it and and talk to people in a way that they understand that not only embraces that open wound of their soul that's like so ready to respond in a paranoid way Mm -hmm. and then soothe it with science. We also have to, I I agree with that completely. I I think it's also important though for us to watch the walking dead. I'm not rationalizing it. I'm going to watch it anyways. It's a really fun show. It's also important to understand how a pop culture phenomenon is going to drive this response. When we have things crop up, now it's Legionnaire's disease, influenza season's coming, it was Ebola last year. It's a stereotyped response, and Hollywood does a great job of depicting it. It starts slow, it's very dramatic, the media gets a hold of it, social media gets a hold of it, and it's off to the races at that point. Um, it, it, It can be a real challenge to interact in that environment. So, it's good to enjoy these shows, but it's also important because that's the lingua franca that I think a lot of people may think about these things and and how they're going to interpret them. Yeah, no, I mean, you watch Rick and, you know, his co-survivors adapt to this amazingly horrific situation and they have to make hard decisions in a time when there's not a lot of time to make them and your life depends on it. But they also are identifying how the thing spreads, you know, is it by getting bitten? You know, if you kiss a vampire or a, you know, zombie or a wolf man, you know, how, how does this work? You know, and from the beginning, from the time he gets up in the bed in the hospital and walks outside and all the bodies are in body bags outside of the hospital and the loading dock, you know, he's trying to figure it out and people along the way inform his knowledge of the zombie virus. Uh Um, And I think, 
you know, the more people understand about how things spread, viral infections are probably the most likely to cause a pandemic like this. Uh And we've seen that with the flu and things like that. Um, For the most part, I think that, you know, pharmacology and our ability to use therapeutics to treat diseases has come a long way. But viruses, we really don't understand. You know, Mm -hmm. we know all about the bacterial components of our GI tract and you know, we have a lot of different antibiotics. And when people say antibiotics, they really mean antibacterial medication. Yeah. But when it comes to viruses, the treatments are few and far between. Most of them luckily get better on their own. Mm-hmm. But there are some that we just don't have therapy for. Yeah. And if you had something that created symptoms that were similar to a zombie, you know, <laughs> right. um, it would very much be the same thing. Yeah. And, you know, watching movies like Contagion, you know, Contagion is essentially about avian flu. Right. Written by a doctor, right? Written Robin doctor. Cook. Yeah. And I mean, exceptionally well done. And all the, all the close up cutscenes are like, you know, it's an infected person, like touching the doorknob. Yeah. Like you see the pig playing next to the chicken coop in Asia. And then the waterfowl, like the duck comes up, which is the, you know, the natural reservoir for infection and interacts with the other animals. Uh-huh. Or like the bat drops the piece of food and then the pig eats it. And you start to see how these different viruses that have their own species, you know, there's human flu, there's swine flu, there's bird flu, how they kind of get mixed up yeah. in different species and adapt. And they, you know, you create these super viruses. We needed a doctor, I guess, in a way to, to depict it correctly. Cause you and I have discussed at some length, the, the the inconsistencies within The Walking Dead, like, you know, they'll show things like, oh, come on, they've all gotten sick. or right. you know. Well, like they're getting sprayed with blood. You know? <laughs> exactly. So his blood, I mean, I remember in the beginning, the blood was like a big, you know, oh, I got on my face. And yeah, yeah, yeah. And now everybody's covered in blood yeah. all the time. And it's like, yeah. I can... We need the writers of, you know, World War Z and 28 Days Later. We need consensus. How are these things spread? I, 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 can't, I can't do this anymore where they're, you know, it gets in someone's eye and they immediately convert to a zombie or they get bitten and now they're like superhuman speed. I need consistency. I can't, I need something to, to guide this. You know, we need a central dogma. Um, but, but that it's true. And, and that's information versus the misinformation. It's, it's hard for people to say, I get that this is fake and to not have it in some way inform their idea of infectious principles, how infections are spread versus not spread. I mean, would you agree that in some manner, you know, you're watching these things that it's going to get inculcated somehow into someone who doesn't have a background steeped in understanding? Yeah, no, I mean, I think that it's a way to walk yourself through a course in epidemiology yeah. in a very entertaining way. Yeah, it is. And in a way where you really know you're safe. Like you really don't believe in zombies, <laughs> right? You know, you're really not. Don't like, we? No, I'm kidding. you're yeah. you're going to open the door on Halloween and give the kids candy. You <laughs> right. don't think that they're actually going to harm you, but right. Um, but you start to figure out these epidemiological principles. Yeah. You know, yeah. how is this transmitted? Mm-hmm. What is the reproductive index of this infection of this pathogen? You know, how many people does an infected person? infect Mm -hmm. in a population that has no immunity, you know, a totally susceptible population. There's a, an epidemiological statistic for that number. Um, those things are important. And when you're doing an epidemiological evaluation of an outbreak, you know, someone has weird symptoms and then you start noticing other people in the community that have weird symptoms and they're kind of vague, but you know, you start putting them together and you start, you know, looking back at, 
you know, what did they, what did you eat and what did they eat? And what, you know, what are the commonalities? Did y'all drink from the same water source or did y'all, were y'all in the same room or did you ride in the same bus? Or mm-hmm. How did it do its thing? Yeah. And, you know, that's, I think in part what these retrospective throwback shows like fear the walking dead are about. Mm-hmm. It's like, we've given you the, like, okay, the whole world is, is screwed, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And then you step back and say, okay, well, how did this start? And, that's, I think, where people get even more interested is they've gotten completely paranoid and they know that those zombies are everywhere and they're thinking of how to, you know, what's the best way to put a, you know, a sharp weapon through their head and mm-hmm. how do you kill them and how do you do this? And, yeah. how do you do that? Um, and then you go to a more microbiological level and say, okay, well, where did this come from? You know, yeah. who was the first case? What was the index case? Which is a very epidemiological right. thing. It's funny that you mentioned that though, because that's actually the thing that I'm always craving the most. I want that perspective of how are the 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 how is the team that is constructed to figure this out? How are they doing their work? And to take a little bit of a snapshot of real from reality, there's the amazing story, the amazing book called "And the Band Played On" about the early days of the AIDS epidemic and the international effort to try to unlock that puzzle. Subsequently, a movie is made about it with an amazing cast, and it shows that mission. It shows that singular focus that multidisciplinary approach of all these people from different backgrounds with really specialized skills solving an incredibly complex puzzle where time is a tremendous pressure. Um, that, that book is an amazing book and it, it deserved all the praise it got when it came out. It's nonfiction, um, which is sometimes hard to believe. That's what I want when I'm watching these. I want that part. And I think that that would be a fun way to spin this off. Not purely to say we're going to do this for society's benefit, but it would add... I think a piece to that puzzle of helping people get a sense of what's going on on the other side of the curtain to try to solve this sort of thing so that when it comes up for real, um, not as a zombie apocalypse, but when there are things that do come up and they have the public's attention, there's maybe a little bit more understanding of the efforts to solve it. Yeah. I mean, I think, well, and it's a double edged sword too, because it really, it unveils the, real competitive backstabbing nature of science too. I mean, this was true with the race for publications on evolution. That's fair. Uh, It was true about the AIDS epidemic, DNA. I mean, there are always these controversies where you have competing groups of investigators who, Mm -hmm. you know, their motivation is really to be famous Mm -hmm. and to publish and to make money and to open up those doors for future work. Um, and a lot of that is what drives a lot of the science. And I mean, it's good and bad. It's the same as you see in sports with Mm -hmm. people using performance enhancing drugs and other things to try and excel and make a name for themselves and help their team. Um, you know, it's human nature to want to try and get that, that edge, Mm -hmm. however you can. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes people will compromise their principles to do so. And that's very true in a lot of these kind of scientific, uh, tete-a-tetes about who's going to get there first. But you know, it, it makes a story human, I think. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that there's ever been anything that I've read about any scientific discovery that hasn't had some, you know, undercurrent of that competitive, uh, deceptive trickery that goes on between mm-hmm. scientists. Mm-hmm. And it, it makes it interesting. It makes it real and human. It, it does. And I think one of the things that it also helps to illustrate is there's such a, uh, an emphasis on 
the scientific community being able to unlock these things quickly, efficiently, safely, and it's all over with, to recognize that, look, just like everyone that's going to be dealing with anything, whether it's having a cold or, or, or something much more significant all the way to Ebola, that there's human frailty across the equation, that there isn't some, you know, superhero Josh Minuto trying to solve the puzzle, right. smart as you are. Um, we're all going to be subjected to the same challenges and things like that. That's what I think some of these shows, I think the shows that really grab people and, and really make you lock in and want to keep watching it is that they show that frailty. They show there isn't someone that just comes in and saves the day. It shows like, look, we're going to have to work together and we're going to have to work through everyone's foibles. Yeah. No, I mean, I think that the, there are a number of, of movies and TV shows that have done this well. And, you know, I think of medicine man with Sean Connery where he's in the jungles of South America and he's looking for a cancer cure. That was a deep cut. That was a, that was good. And I liked it. I mean, it's just, it's, if you haven't seen the movie, you should check it out. I mean, it's, he's amazing, you know, and the, the story is just, it's so telling of what the exploration of the uncharted, scientific world is about like yeah. the rainforest yeah. and trying to preserve the biodiversity and you know how many solutions to our problems in the first world exist in this you know barren um untouched savage jungle and you have to go in there and find them and there are all kinds of you know different adversities you run into there are the native populations that don't trust you mm -hmm. there's just the the natural harshness of the jungle um there's the remoteness from your what's comfortable to you at home and the city um, but he goes through this very, you know, dark inner journey to, to try and get this information mm -hmm, and to mm -hmm. publish it. And he makes a huge discovery and he misses it. Mm -hmm. And then it, you know, it takes a number of different missteps and recalculations and other people that get involved and that care about the work and care about him mm -hmm. to finally come to the right conclusion. And then it's like, well, what do we do with this? You know, how do we use it so that it helps people and it doesn't become like, who's going to get this and make the most money? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's complicated. Yeah. So you touched on in discussing that movie though, you touched on something that I think we we've seen happen. And that's this idea of cultural collision. And, you know, one of our colleagues, Guy Bizek, who was on the podcast a few months ago, went to Sierra Leone and, and, you know, we had an amazing conversation. One of the things he talked about is that difficulty of entering a community and saying, okay, this is how it's got to be. Well, uh, no. And you can imagine, you know, on, on the walking dead or, you know, any of these shows where they're showing how something like this is developing. Could you imagine that happening here? Someone coming into our community and telling us what's what, it just wouldn't happen. Um, hopefully that's never an obstacle that we, we really have to cross because it gets to that really fundamental sense of we're independent. We have self-determination. We're not subject to the whim of a guy in a, in a suit where I can't even see his face. I think part of that fear and part of that is what makes these shows, why people watch these shows. There, there's some sort of twist on that. I'm fascinated and engaging with what I'm afraid of. Is, yeah. it, a, is, it, a, is it a defense mechanism? Why? I mean, why is that? Because that's part of why I watch it. Well, I mean, it, you know, people get attracted to things that they fear. Yeah. Because they really want to explore them. You know, and, and AMC took that to the nth level. Sure. Fear of the Walking Dead was their spinoff, right? And yeah. I mean, it's and and that plays on a lot of those 
principles. Like, yeah. You fear the zombie apocalypse yeah. because you don't understand it and it seems like you can't stop it, yeah. right? You fear the military because they have power over you yeah. and they outgun you. Yeah. And they're going to take over and form this compound and you have to live in it and do what they say. Are they really working in your best interest? Right. It turns out that they're not. Spoiler alert. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. Um, but, I mean, you could have guessed that. But, yeah. you know, a lot of these things. And, and when when the Western world goes to the third world and tries to bring them knowledge mm -hmm. that we think supersedes what they believe in, you really it's, – it's difficult. I mean – with the AIDS epidemic, that was a huge problem. And, you know, it wasn't only the small rural areas in Africa that were kind of detached from, you know, fully buying into this, like, yeah, we need to take these medications yeah. from all these white doctors from the U.S. and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, even the African government, a lot of the officials in, you know, their uh, health organizations and things were giving misinformation to mm -hmm. people about what the truth was. Um, and there are a lot of, you know, secondary gain yeah. issues that you have to think about with regard to where the drugs are coming from, who stands to benefit from them. You know, it's not common that you get people like Bill and Melinda Gates who, you know, are funding mm -hmm. these projects that really reach a huge amount of people. Um, and, you know, there isn't really a, at least a political or scientific direct benefit to mm -hmm. them. There's that central piece of trust. Yeah. Right? I mean, you can, and some, I think a lot of it's well-founded where people say, well, I don't trust you. You've taken advantage of me before. Why isn't this just more of the same? Um, and that's a recurring thread, of course, in all these shows and books that we love where people, you, you, you got over on us once before. Now look at us. Why should we listen to you now? Um, and, and it all, <laughs> It's a card that all the authors and screenwriters and actors, they, they play it and it never fails to hit because it resonates so profoundly for everybody that, yeah, I don't want to get taken advantage of. I don't want someone getting over on me, particularly if there's an emergency. Yeah, I mean, there's there's always this balance between self-preservation yeah. and the preservation of your direct genetic line, yeah. which usually means your children, and then how much you feel compelled to protect your community. Yeah. And the walking dead were right in the middle of that, right? They're in this compound with these people who don't really know how to survive outside the walls, mm -hmm. but they have the walls and Rick and his crew are happy to go inside the walls mm -hmm. and benefit from that protection. And now they're trying to figure out how they explain to these people that if the walls are down, they don't know what to do. Mm -hmm. And there's all kinds of mistrust issues and, you know, all the other nuances of just human society come out, you know, with the abusive drunken husband and this mm -hmm. and that. And it just, it just creates more and more tension and the tension builds. And then, Oh, you know. for sure. And that's part of the genius. I think of the walking dead is that in the midst of this world that is bizarre, far fetched, but still wildly entertaining and fascinating. They just fold in all the stuff that everyone has to deal with every day. Yeah. Just basic security. Where's my family? What's to eat? As you say, you know, the, the abusive guy who's drunk, the person who doesn't want to participate, the, the alpha who you know, demands attention. And it's just, it just makes for this incredibly compelling soup that you just, I mean, the numbers prove it. We're all drawn to it. Well, and I mean, the, the most interesting character to me is always the person who really wants to participate, but they're not prepared. Yeah. Yeah. And, and how, you know, cause 
you see this every time that one of these post-apocalyptic shows comes to you know public attention is there's always that character who's like, I'm going with you. And everybody's like, no, you're going to hang back. Yeah. You know, you don't want to, to crush their, their desire to be part of the group. Yeah. And you don't want to take away their opportunity to contribute. Yeah. But you also don't want the liability for the people that are going. Right. Right. To right. bring along someone who's not ready. Yeah. I mean, this is what the military deals with all the time when they're training recruits and stuff. And you know, when the zombie apocalypse happens, we're all recruits all of a sudden, you know, it's yeah. you're in boot camp, ready to go. Like, yeah. And, and you need Rick Grimes to yeah, teach you what to right. do. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you do It's You learn one, you do one, you teach one. <laughs> That's right. You don't have a lot of time. You yep. catch up faster. You don't make it. That's right. Um, but you only have to be the second slowest in the right. zombie apocalypse. You just have to be faster than one person. Um, As we get ready to wrap up, what, what, where is season six going? For those of you who are not caught up, we're not going to ruin it for you, but we've just started the sixth season. Get caught up. It's incredibly compelling, fascinating. Sometimes it's really funny. It's always dark and creepy, but it's just a really fun show. And this whole phenomenon is so interesting. So Dr. Menudo, where are we going? Well, I think that the beauty of season six is that this franchise has gotten to a point where they have the resources to do whatever they want, whatever they want. Yes. And they can, and they talked a little bit about this on the talking dead, which is the show that follows the walking dead. Um, you know, Chris Hardwick was talking to a couple of the producers and they said, you know, we have these pieces that are like acoustic sets. And then we have like the full arena rock band. Oh, you know? I love it. Yeah. And, and that's what they have. And that's why it's so interesting. They can cut from the scene where they're on the porch and Rick is introducing his, you know, toddler to Morgan and Morgan's holding the baby for the first time. And, you know, everybody watching the show is watching these guys in this horrible situation interact with this tiny baby girl. And it, it just changes the whole game and it, it, it informs what's really valuable to them, you know, and yeah. the sense of community. Rick invites Morgan to live in his house. Right. And, you know, it's this motley crew of that people. That sense of people still wanting to pull together. Somehow. And they're different races. Yeah. They're different. Yeah. They have different philosophies about stuff and they fight about things. Yeah. But they're, they're a family, yeah. you know. Um, and you go from that to this just much grander scale of the river of zombies that's yeah. cruising through this area. Um, and I think that that's where this is going is they're going to, they're going to, keep changing the magnification uh-huh. and they're going to hone in on the tension interpersonally. Yep. And then they're going to zoom out and show you what's happening in the world. And you're going to watch it at, you know, 10 X mm-hmm. and you're going to watch it at a thousand X. It's funny that you say that because as you're saying that I'm thinking that's exactly how we as a community absorb these things for real. Right. We see it in the hospital. We watch, see it on the news. The scope is always compressing and then elongating. Um, and they've tapped into that. And I think that's why this show, these other shows are so compelling because they are really good reflections of the way we process this sort of stuff. This was really fun. This was a, it's, it's fun to have an expert come in and break down how these pieces kind of fit together and uh, why we love this stuff so much, but also to help us kind of understand how things pop up the way they do and then how society's response kind of comes up. So this was great. I hope you enjoyed coming. Yeah, no, it's fun. I mean the, you know, exploring the interaction between real science and popular culture is one of the things I really love. 
And you'd be surprised at how many true stories in science and particularly in infectious disease are fantastical, you know? Yeah. Um, and I encourage people to read more kind of historical works about infectious disease because they're all like the walking dead, except yeah. they're real. Yeah. And there are thousands of different stories, local bookstore, go to like the medical section, anything about cholera, typhoid, Mary, yep. the black plague, yep. tuberculosis. I mean, and the band played on the band played on yep. the AIDS epidemic, Ebola. Yep. Yep. I mean, you know, we saw this with in the 1990s with the Ebola Reston virus in Virginia mm-hmm. on American soil. People freaked out then, and now everybody forgot about it. Yeah, it's true. And then Mother Nature reminded us. Yep. So the cycle continues, and the more you know about the general aspects of epidemiology and infectious disease, the more you can not only enjoy the shows like The Walking Dead, but the more you can appreciate vaccine medicine and herd immunity and all these other things that are coming to light, you know, in legislation and in our community that help keep us safe. Just in our daily discourse, like you say, these things that are designed to help keep us all safe. This was great fun. Thanks so much. We'll see you Sunday night for episode two. Absolutely. All right. Thanks, Josh. No problem. Thank you for listening to Explore the Space. Visit us on our website, explorethespaceshow.com. And please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at ETS Show. And you can email Dr. Shapiro by writing to mark at explorethespaceshow.com.